Hello everyone and welcome to episode 21 of the iSphere where we were actually having a bit of a discussion um, about what we were going to talk about this week because Twitter just seems to have like continued <laughs> um it's, it's the world's <laughs> slowest implosion <laughs> yeah it's like but it's amazing because we've like all got front row seats to it as well um yeah. so we decided that like we might want to mix up a wee bit because nobody really wants to hear about um elon musk and twitter like two two times in a row two weeks in a row so we we thought you know what's a game that we've both played and joy you were saying that you're getting back into red dead redemption 2 um, yes, and um, we, were, we were like, "Fuck it, let's go with that." So yeah, it's also been requested. I will point it out, has. it's been requested. If you want us to discuss something, go to the iSphere Tumblr or even the Twitter for as long as it exists, and uh, drop us a suggestion for what you want to hear. I know the Arcane's a popular one, but that mm. requires a lot of time and investment that neither of us have at the I, minute. I have started um, watching it. I've got. I've done one episode. Um, I watched one full episode of. You're ahead of me. Um, but nah, it's something that I'd like to maybe just spend a day and like binge. It's, yeah. And take notes the entire time. Um, but yeah, I think uh, we can let's let's just start off with Red Dead Redemption. So you've started. Yeah. Uh, you've played it before, all the way through. Yeah. Yes, I've played it all the way before, and then I had my heart broken by the ending, and. <laughs> uninstalled and then uh, it pulled me back i i wanted to be in the red dead world i wanted to be riding my horse around um and i'm just putting off the the end of the storyline for as long as possible micah bell can stay in that jail forever <laughs> i like it's got to the point where i'm i can't save like the game runs in the background because dutch won't let me save at camp anymore unless i ah. go and get micah bell and i'm like fuck you I'm not doing it, so the game just runs in perpetuity. So if you hear a whirring sound, it's my computer exploding in the background. Um, but yeah, I I really I love the world of Red Dead, and I I also loved um, the Red Dead Online as well. I loved playing it until that went to complete shit as well. Yeah, so, um, I you know what I kind of see Rockstar games are like the equivalent of like Breaking Bad for me. And that, like, I really enjoy my playthrough. Um, and then once it's finished, I find it really, really hard to go back and mm. like experience it again. Like, I've never watched, I've never rewatched Breaking Bad. I've like, it's one of those TV I shows. I've never finished it. <laughs> that's that. To be honest, that's fair as well. Um, but like, I've. I never, like, I just, I can't, like, every time I go, do I want to fancy rewatching Breaking Bad? I go, no. Because mm -hmm. it was just like, I'm not sure if there's a certain, and like, you actually mentioned this on one of my other streams throughout the week, where it's like the kind of narrative depth of something. It, yeah. It's just, it's almost like exhausting to go back. Like, I mean, I've, I've tried, uh, like, I tried to replay um, Red Dead Redemption 2, and I hit that long prologue, and like, in my mind, the prologue of Red Dead's really short, but it's mm -hmm. it's it's going to the to the kind of farmhouse in the in the blizzard and finding a Sadie. Is it Sadie? Sadie Adler. Yeah, yeah. finding Sadie. It's then the uh, Como Driscoll, like f like factory kind of area and the shit out there mm -hmm. it's the train it's the like the chasing the guy down it's the hunting and it's all like 
I, 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 rem I remember getting to it and I was like, I kind of wanted to get to the open worlds like much sooner. Yeah. Um, because in my mind, like the bit where I was having the most fun in Red Dead is when I was like, um, out in the kind of swamps hunting like the legendary crocodile and, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas like trying to put the time and effort in to just do the prologue just took so fucking long. Um, I mean, I, I have a mod that for PC that stops the prologue and it just launches <laughs> it into the, 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 you know, the open world. Um, because hmm. that is, it's very long. It's a very, very long intro. It's like tutorial. two, it's like two, three hours almost. It is. Yeah. And it is, it's good storytelling, but once you've seen it the first time, I feel like it loses the, magic. the impact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the first time you're playing, you're like, oh, holy shit, this is insane. Like, that, like, um, you have immediately, it starts with the death of the member of the gang, and mm. you're you're riding out into a storm to try and find shelter. And then you, you witness Sadie Adler, who becomes one of the new members of the gang and everything else. And um, spoiler alert for anyone who's not played, but like, uh, her husband has been killed by this gang, um, and they she's hiding in the basement basically. And you, one of your other people, Micah Bell, accidentally sets the house on fire, and then it's you <laughs> right off into the distance. And it's you know, the one of the opening lines Arthur uses for Sadie is, um, "Don't worry, ma'am, we're bad people, but we're better than them." Yeah. So it's a really hard hitting line where you're like, oh, you're playing as a bad person. <laughs> Are we the baddies? <laughs> yeah. Are we the bad guys? Yeah. Um, and it's it's really fun. Like it's a really I love these sort of characters who know like Arthur especially is such a good character. Yeah. He's such a good complex character. But the intro, once you've done it that one time, I feel loses impact. I think if you were able to skip it, if the game just gave you the option to skip it, it would be great. Mm -hmm. But they don't. They make you redo it every time you want to replay the game. Yeah, and which I can I see why, because yeah. like I mean, they they put a lot of effort into modeling those did. those yeah. cold horse balls that shrink and <laughs> like. And to be honest, I remember when the game came out. Was it was it a twenty eighteen game? I think so. That's amazing. Um, um, but yeah, it was. It was, a, it was really like I I feel terrible for everyone that did crunch on that game. I feel so yeah. bad for them. But it is honestly like I my computer was brand new back then. I had the best video card you could get. I had all the RAM. I had everything. Mm -hmm. And my computer cannot run it in anything more than like the lowest graphic setting. Yeah. Otherwise the processor just dies. Yeah. Um it's a gorgeous, gorgeous game. And I honestly when the pandemic hit, I installed it so many times just so I could walk around outside. Yeah, um, <laughs> and I still do that it's, because it is, a lot um, of yeah, like it is uh, an amazing from like a landscape perspective. Like the environmental design of Red Dead is is stunning. Yeah, it's um, gorgeous, and there's so many mods. There's so many great mods that just turn it into a horse girl game, and <laughs> you can just ride around on your horse and pick flowers and go walks and like go fishing and hunt. And it's like, oh, I don't have to do anything. Like mm. it literally just turns off Dutch, and you're like. This is the best way to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> um, Funnily enough, you remove the root of all problems for the gang, yes, and yeah. <laughs> it's a nice, gentle <laughs> game. Like I like um, yeah. how you were talking about how Arthur's like a really good character because, like, I think he's such a good character because he starts off as way more of a baddie and you kind of see him like mellow out as he becomes a bit more mature and then he starts getting like distanced from like dutch he becomes a little bit more yeah. skeptical um, depending on how you play 
Yeah, yeah. I, I was in our school. It just gets worse. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's I, I, for, I forget that there's a morality system in it as well. Yeah, there's I, a morality I, system that's actually really good. Mm. Um, and but it's it's really I always play Arthur as good because I he's he's the he's the character that I call as you know um, my favorite character in games, which is the sad dad. So, like, in Dishonored, yeah. I love Corvo because he's a very sad dad character who's lost his wife and he's got his child and everything. Which, spoiler, if you've never played Dishonored, Emily is Corvo's daughter. Um, and I love the kind of the conflict with a number. He's like, I'm a bad person, but I'm doing it to protect the people I love because the whole idea of the gang is that they have this idea of being free from the yeah. government and they don't agree with, like, the police and a lot of other things, but they're also just fucking thieves. Like they're just, you know, they're 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 thugs and they're brutes. But you have Arthur who shows that he's intelligent, but he tries to hide that he's intelligent because he knows that doesn't that's not what Dutch wants from him. Mm. And it's really interesting to see how you have Hosea, who's the other head of the gang, who is also kind of he's on his way out. He it's implied that he's got like consumption or, or lung cancer or something. And you can see him trying to educate the people around him and being like, be more than a thug, like be smart with what you're doing. Yeah. And then you have Dutch that's just like, do as you're told. Yeah. I'm the brains, do as you're told. And you can see the conflict in Arthur. Even when you when you play as a as a bad character, like the the morally repugnant character, you see him resenting Dutch for taking advantage of him. And it's one of the most heartbreaking things at the very end of the game when Arthur is spoiler alert, Arthur dies. Um and it's the the last thing he says to Dutch is I gave you my all and yep. his all was not enough. And that I when I was playing that the first time, I <laughs> I was in full denial. I was already writing fan fiction in my head on how to fix this. <laughs> it's just like my Arthur doesn't deserve this because my Arthur helped a lot of people. Like he does a lot of bad things, but it's because you know how much it's of the, it is because he's in a bad situation? How much yeah. of it is because he was raised that way by a criminal mastermind who's gone off the deep end? You know, it's just such a good... I love how complex it is. Like, I'm, I'm one of those people that loves morally grey characters who are truly morally grey. Yeah. And you have the choice in games to take them one way or the other. And I always drag them kicking and screaming towards the light. <laughs> <laughs> because I love it's, that. It's, it's so good. The one, the one yeah. thing that I do, like, it's obviously those kind of morality systems have limits when it comes to the plot because there's there's not a good way that you can address how Arthur actually gets tuberculosis because he, yes. he, like, he's, he obviously goes to the collection. Um, the gang's running a, a kind of collection, <laughs> collection. loan scam yeah. and uh, Arthur goes to, to pick up the money and ends up beating up this, this farmer who has TB and mm-hmm. uh, he gets TB on the back of it. And it's, you know, like, I, I don't mind it because it's like from a plot point, but when like everything else that Arthur does has this kind of, can go about it two different ways. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some... There's some missions in the game where it does push you down a very like narrow funnel Dark of like path. what it what yeah. it wants it to to be, but um, I suppose that's always the ri- risk when you have like a morality system in a game where you're giving that player the freedom to play how they want, and then mm-hmm. for the purpose of the plot to actually get you to where you want to go, you have to have this like really it, it, narrow funnel. Yeah, I can see it from that. You know, I can see it's frustrating because I would be like 
because I'm so far when I get to that game, I've already invested hours in Arthur's playthrough, and he's like full on. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. Reality bars like full, like the on the light side, because I've been saying hello and petting everyone, mm. to everyone <laughs> in the streets, and I've been petting every dog and helping everybody, and then it's like, oh, I'm just gonna go beat the shit out of someone. But yeah. that's also the reality of Arthur's world, and it's really fascinating mm. that you can. He's almost kind of resigned to it because it's Dutch told him to do it. Yeah, and Dutch is basically God in his perspective. It's like you know, it's his father figure that he never really had, and it's really interesting to see how it it you know his death ultimately comes from his unshakable faith in Dutch and mm-hmm. his inability to say no to Dutch, and then it's only after that event happens where he has this true kind of like moral crisis where he's like, why the fuck was I beating up a sick farmer? Yeah, for money because you know we're running a money like he's like this isn't like honest like he, ha- he has a really interesting view of like what is honest and what is not and it's like that kind of like oh we're outlaws because the government's corrupt but then you have oh they're scamming poor people out of money or yeah. oh they're taking you know they're they're hus- rustling people's livestock and going your idea of what you are is completely not accurate and it's really interesting because you have again dutch is the person that is weaving this kind of like oh we're the good guys we're yeah. living free. We're outside the and it, 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 you can tell it's like a kind of almost like a cult like situation. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the closest. Like that is the closest that you're probably going to get to an accurate description of the gang. Is that like they are like I feel like Dutch himself almost doesn't like. It's almost like he's aware of it, but he's also very aware that he's got to convince everyone else that there's like an ideology of this freedom that he kind of pushes mm-hmm. to the point where he does wrap himself up in it as well. But I do does, feel like there is... He himself of his own lie, yeah. Yeah, but, like, I mean, one of the one of the things that I thought was, like, really... Like, it kind of opened up the characterization of Dutch for me is when you find his, his kind of diary where he's writing all his speeches. Mm-hmm. And his speeches contain things like um, dramatic pause. Like, you know, he's he's got all of the deliberate... Um, pauses and it's like it's all written down and planned um it is. Mm-hmm. which i think is a really good kind of like characterization point because like you it, know, is, it, yeah. it means that on one hand he does put a lot of effort into the character of dutch um at the same time he's extremely meticulous about how he presents himself to the rest of the gang it is and it is from a like i was saying it's almost like they're in a cult they are in a cult they're in the cult of dutch and mm. dutch is also in his own sort of thing and um it's some people get really frustrated with like well how could you not see that this is the way that it is and i i have some personal insight into that i've mentioned it a couple of times on on my blog that i was you know kind of raised in that kind of new agey culty kind of section like i had a lot of stuff in our family we had a lot of like medical trauma so my parents started avoiding doctors for a while and it, you know, they went full on like angels, crystals, everything to help, sort of thing. And unfortunately, that meant I was exposed to a lot of really warped people <laughs> who, you know, they, they sell you the cure for cancer. You know, they sell you, you know, they're like, oh yeah, if you just take, uh, you know, if you put crystals in your water, you'll be healed, sort of thing. Mm. And um, I was in that for a very long time, and it's very easy when you are young. To believe that these people are telling you the truth because you know they're the adults in your life why would they lie to you why would they hurt you adults are you know you're taught to believe from a young age that adults you know have their best interest for you and if you grow into an adult 
who's never had that questioned, it's, you know, it's very, very difficult to shape that worldview and that sense of loyalty. And to me, that's exactly what you see with Arthur. Because you know from reading Arthur's journal that he, you know, Dutch picked and Hosea picked him up on the street when I think he was about 12 or something. Yeah. And they just fully took him and were like, oh, you can be a pickpocket. You're, you're, you keep doing that. You can be our little, like, go for. And then when he starts growing up into this big, burly man, he just becomes Dutch's muscle. And he's never had anyone to say, you know, apart from perhaps Mary, who is, you know, his love interest to actually just turn around and go, you know what, you're actually better than this. Yeah. And I feel like there's multiple instances, again, where you learn through um, Arthur's journal that he did try to do things the right way. And then he always got pulled back in because something happened that made him aware of, I don't belong to anyone else. I don't fit with the outside world. And that was something I could kind of like, you know, I when I was in my 20s, I was coming out of like the worst of a lot of the new age stuff. And I, you know, I still... I'm in that world with, you know, I'm side by side with it because because of my faith. And like, but it's weird to be like, oh, it's weird to be on the other side. It's very alienating to be on the other side. And for me, Arthur's character is done so well when he goes through all these stages of grief when he realizes that Dutch isn't actually who he believes he is. Because Dutch has been his world for the longest time. Dutch has been his reason for, you know, getting food, shelter, clothes, like all these things. And you have Hosea, who is also a morally ambiguous character, but he's also trying to be like, be smart, learn to read, learn to write, like do smart scams, work smarter, not harder. You're not just a punching machine. Mm. And Dutch doesn't like that. And it's really interesting to see how Hosea at the end is trying to pull people away from Dutch's fantasy, but he doesn't get to because, you know, Spoiler alert, they're all bad people in the way that, you know, most stories <laughs> yeah, They all end up, yeah, they all end they up. They die, dying. you know. Um, to be honest, I so. actually think timing, timing Hosea's death was actually, it came at the absolute right time in the story for it to go more yes. downhill. Like, mm-hmm. the, there's a couple of things that they, they, they nailed. Um, I'm trying to remember when the, they saved the Irish boy. I remember the, the there's a, Sean, yeah. And then Sean dies. Um Sean dies in the middle of the kind of second town, doesn't he? Um, he does, yeah. He gets shot, and then Lenny and Hosea end up dying at the bank heist mm-hmm. um in uh Saint Denis. I'm trying to remember all the place names. Um yeah. and yeah, I think like I there, there's there's this point where I think a lot of people play the game up to. I think they go to Valentine. Um, is it Valentine? It's one of them. Fuck. Valentine's the um, first town, yeah. Yeah, no. So the, yeah, what's the second one? There's the second one where it's like the fields and the the. Uh, there's <laughs> strawberry. Yeah, that um, is th- which is where you have to go to free Micah from. Nah, it's not that one. It's the other one. It's the one in the kind of bottom right of the map that's got where you go fishing. Roads. There you go. Roads. Yeah. Yeah. Roads. So like, I feel like a lot of people. Um, a lot of people get to roads where the gang's probably in its kind of it's at its at its height, I suppose, mm-hmm. for it. Because Sean's still alive, everyone's 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 good. Uh, you go fishing with Isaiah, um, you know, and people kind of like to use that part of the game as their base to basically do all the other other stuff. Um, and then, of course, as you start to go into Saint Denis, that's when things go 
pretty downhill. That's when things go skew up. I actually um, make a point when I first start playing. I ignore all the clients and I go to Sandini and I just enjoy it. Like when we're yeah. still in Horseshoe Ranch, I just ride off and I'm like, see you later. And I don't come <laughs> back for several weeks. And then, you know, you get all the gang coming to look for you. And I'm like, I, I'm fine. I get so annoyed. They're like, oh, Bill's been kidnapped again. It's like, fucking Bill. Like, <laughs> like, Who gives a fuck about things, Bill? <laughs> do all these things to try and pull you back. And I eventually got a mod that turned all that off. So oh, that I nice. could just, just be like, I'm just gonna go hunt for a month and I'll see you later. Yeah. But um it was you know, it's such a beautiful world, and but by the time you get to Saint Denis in the plot, you don't get to enjoy it because Arthur's mm. got that deep <laughs> rumbling yeah. something's not quite right call. To, to like, be you know. to be honest, that's that's a thing that's also impacted a second playthrough, is the moment you start to hear that cough, you're like, ah, it's like because I think for a lot of people yeah. in their first playthrough, anyway, there wasn't a oh this is what's happening. I think we all probably knew that Arthur was going to die, but like I I, I we know knew that, it because he like, wasn't in Red Dead One. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We knew that. But like at the same time, I think we were maybe expecting it to go a wee bit different, and then like, like a glorious shootout. Yeah, so like something like that. To tell you, like I mean, maybe we're jumping a wee bit ahead but like i thought the they did arthur's death a lot better than they kind of did john's death in red dead one i remember i remember john's death in red dead one almost being so random like just because the whole army was there <laughs> is it yeah. not like the army and then you get the the dead eye um i remember that being really like, it was. Uh, it felt as if it was. Oh, you, you've got to wrap it up real quick. And these, you know, it's the, the, kind of the expectation from these western movies is that the bad mm. guys always die, and that's yeah. what you know Rockstar were trying to do. They're trying to stick to these. Well, these people don't get to live a happy life because they are bad people. Yeah. They've done terrible things. The fact that you get attached to them is just a testament to how well the characters are written and how likable their good moments are. Um. And I think it's also just that, you know, it makes them, they're very human. They're very, very kind of humanised, like, um, the, and I, I remember thinking, because at the end of Red Dead 2, you can play as John for a while. Yeah. And I remember. <laughs> a while! A while! Well, for me, than the entire Red Dead 1, because the entire <laughs> Red Dead 1, I didn't really give a shit if John died. Playing that outro epilogue with with john i was like fuck you this is not how this ends i put yeah. so much work into being a good person i, I find it just falls apart i find it quite funny that um like back when red dead one was released or red dead redemption with john yeah. it was like people really like when the moment john died everyone was like i hate jack i really want to go back to playing as john I had I had the same thing for Red Dead Two. I was like, "Give me Arthur back," because I'm you like, know, yeah. I, like when I was when I, there was the one thing, and I I thought I thought Red Dead Two's epilogue was too long to the point of it was kind of taking the piss. Like, I I yeah. get I get needing it. I did I didn't expect it to be such a direct. You finish the epilogue and then Red Dead Redemption One starts. I thought that mm -hmm. was weird. Like I, I was expecting there to be like a, a fairly sizable gap so that like John could still be a kind of outlaw in his spare time and then get hauled back in for Red Dead One. But I think 
the epilogue ends and he's pretty much like it could have been its own game it's yeah. so lengthy it could have been like its own little dlc or something that it was you didn't need to play it to finish the whole game because it was i liked it but you know as robin wing points out in the um in the chat it was it took two chapters to finish an epilogue and i'm like yeah. narratively that's not good <laughs> if your epilogue requires two chapters something's gone wrong yeah um and it would have been nice if the epilogue was you build your house and then you get into the, the rest of Red Dead 1. But you have this whole thing where it's John and Abigail fight and break up and you're working for a different rancher. And, like, it's all fun gameplay, but, like, from a narrative standpoint, it's too long. Yeah, but um, that, is, that was the thing. Yeah. I thought that the epilogue ended up dragging out to the point where it was taken away a wee bit from, like, Arthur's story a little bit. Like, there was the... There was the bit. There was the kind of big sacrifice that allowed John to get out of there, um, yeah. But then there's the kind of okay now. Now he's just being a wee farm rancher, and then he's you know like there was just multiple steps to his thing. I think if we started, yeah, he he could have started at the ranch, and he could have then left the ranch after you know it, it could almost mm-hmm. they could have started it as he's almost settled into rancher life and he's put the gun down kind of thing um and then the ranch gets attacked and he has to go back to his old ways mm-hmm. and then escape with his family i feel like that would have been a better way to start it but you actually get them going into strawberry i'm pretty sure is where the it epilogue starts and it's like he goes in and then he finds work and then you know it's very plodding along i also feel like the epilogue makes abigail very unlikable and yeah because you're you are trying your best for a lot of things and it's you know like there's one instance that really annoyed me when you were out in the cart with jack and you're teaching him how to drive the horses and everything and it's a nice moment and then you realize you're being followed by people that are going to gun you down and you shoot them and you defend your son and you get away and Abigail leaves it's, you over that, or yeah, no, she she gets just, really angry, like how dare you shoot people? And it's like they were shooting me, like I'm not yeah. going to stand there and just be like, yeah, I've t- I've changed my, you know, <laughs> I'm going to let them kill my son. Yeah. You know what would you prefer, Abigail, Jack alive, or like you know? But it mm. made her really unlikable, and I thought it was interesting because I'm like, maybe this is just how because you've changed from Arthur, who's kind of always very fond of abigail like he's almost like a big brother to abigail and the, the narrative's always really sympathetic to her from yeah. arthur's perspective and then you switch to john and she's just this nagging shrewish <laughs> Irish girl. i'm like is that intentional or do they have they just made her really unlikable like is that like you know the, the switch in perspective i don't know but it, yeah. was, it was interesting and it, it made me really angry because i liked abigail and then the epilogue i was just like I would not I, be marrying you. I would be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll pay you child support, but I'm not living with it. <laughs> I'm going to be with the lassie that cleans my back in fucking Strawberry's bath. <laughs> but yeah, I think, um, like, I, I, I didn't mind. I didn't mind playing as John. I think like John become like near the end of the epilogue. You can almost see John, like. There's there's flickers of John becoming the character he's going to be when he eventually goes yeah. to like Mexico, and that's like a very like, I feel like that's like John in Red Dead Redemption One goes on quite a journey from the start when he's in the kind of deserty town that I've forgotten the name of, and then he like he takes down Bill I'm pretty sure, 
yeah. and then uh, then goes to to Mexico where he does the whole revolution stuff, and he he comes back to his wife, and that is quite a like a solid character. All I think she said she sends him on a whole bunch of errands like immediately the moment he gets back home in Red Dead Redemption One. And back from this massive task. Okay, well we need wood, we need sheep, we need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What have you been doing? <laughs> Tell you one thing that, uh, and like, maybe, like, we can still definitely still talk about the plot of Red Dead Two because there's like there's so much to kind of cover. It's a massive, massive game. But like, one of the things that disappoints me the most about the kind of like modern Rockstar um, take on games is that I know that Red Dead Redemption Two will never get an Undead Nightmares, and that yeah. d- that DLC for the first game was it was like it's easily one of the top 10 dlcs of all time like it was so much fun the amount of effort they put into the fact that you could have you had to go and like tame the four horses of the apocalypse like that would have been like imagine like an alternate story with arthur and the undead nightmare that would have been amazing um, and they especially just... with all the, the witchcraft and the aliens that's in Red Dead too. Yeah, like you could have had so much. Like people, I. So this was a really funny thing. I saw someone um, bitching about how people. Uh, so the fandom for Red Dead Two on Neo Three is big, and the fanfic's great. And someone was bitching about how how unrealistic some of the fan works were, and I'm like, there's UFOs in Red Dead Two. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. witchcraft. There's the embodiment of death. It, what yeah sure the horses ball shrink and you know expand due to weather <laughs> but like you still can't go over the fact that there's ufos and time travelers in this game and you're complaining that the fandom's not being realistic it's, yeah and like the thing is is that someone like that will dismiss or they'll 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 allow the um rock star to have funny easter eggs but then they won't allow yeah. other people to have or expand on those easter eggs i was just thinking like see the swamp you know how there was the there's like there's a woman crying in the swamp uh, there's the fucking it's the <laughs> scariest fucking thing you go over and like she just then starts shrieking and running at you and you're like oh jesus fuck um, you and can't get people with like the voodoo faces come after you and yeah cannibals and shit like that and it's like no, <laughs> you, don't, I know. you can't you can't get to the shotgun fast enough but like yeah how how you, you could have just had imagine imagine an undead nightmare that started in saint denis right like you're on the outskirts of saint denis and then you you learn that the swamp becomes like more of a thing i yeah, it, it'd be ama- It would be amazing. It would be, ama- <laughs> be one of the properly, probably the most scariest thing ever. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'm now I'm now sad that it's <laughs> never going to be a thing. But, I mean, that's to be honest, that's something that I find really annoying about Rockstar's approach to like. And like, don't get me wrong. I know as a business that they absolutely need to go to the thing that earns them the most money and like mm-hmm. all the rest of it, but. Like the the annoying thing is they wanted to try and like duplicate GT Online with Red Dead Online as soon as possible. So like Red Dead Online was like super half baked when it launched. And I think they always do this is like they they have the story come out and they let everyone play the story and then like a month or so later they launch the online. And I think mm-hmm. that's what happened. And I remember I was expecting to have like quite a big like oh red dead online is gonna be really cool um and it was 
like kind it, of. It kind of was, although the I feel like the the basic economy and things that you wanted to do on launch oh, yeah. anyway for me was absolutely shit. Like, as in you had to get up to a certain skill level or a certain you had to get like you had to get up to a certain skill level or you had to get a certain amount of money to get a fishing rod and it was like mm-hmm. absurd as in like the amount of grind you had to put in for like pelts well, it was the the if you wanted to buy anything it was like 10 times the amount of money that it would be in this in, in, in the story. story yeah and it made no sense yeah because i'm pretty like, sure oh, there was you like can, you can buy gold bars to do the thing like no yeah, and like, it was I'm, the, you know, I'm pretty sure it was like there was like a hundred a hundred dollars or something like that was the cost of a fishing rod. And mm-hmm. like people were going well like And in the game it's like four. <laughs> yeah, but it's like people people were going like I need to it, like because the, the amount of pelts you were getting like like eighty cents for like one good quality deer pelt. Mm-hmm. It was like the amount of hunting you had to do because there was, because there was also not many NPC quests, so there wasn't any like people actually giving out the, mm-hmm. like you know you couldn't go and do bounties. That all came way later, um, and then yeah, the the bow as well was like it was, yeah, it, it was and, and yeah, the horrors of capitalism as Tundra's <laughs> pointing out, and it was it was very just unbalanced, and yeah. they made no move to correct it, and then. It got worse when people started hacking it. And oh God, yeah. The hacks were bad. The um, hacks were bad. The griefing was always going to be yeah. an issue as well, because like. But also, they, they made like, people had made a hack where if they killed you, you, they got all of your money, and it was even if you had bought the money, like if you had like bought the gold bars and everything, they could siphon that when they killed you. And there were so many angry, angry, angry people, and I'm like course you are like you've put real money into this fake economy yeah and it's just getting stolen and you know the red deads you know their their you know their answer to that was um uh we're just gonna we're not gonna moderate any of this like yeah. it's just like what are you doing like you like, literally you would log in and you'd get griefed immediately yeah no i um, mean i i remember there was the, i i i didn't play online long enough to see it as its worst but like I remember, like early days, like hackers just being able to like spawn next to you and fucking kill you, and yeah. like it was, it was pretty, it was pretty tedious. But I feel like the Rockstar expected to like, I feel I feel like Rockstar were comparing Red Dead Online to a GTA Online that had been out for years, had like loads of players, tons of investment lots of features and they thought that they could replicate it by having a kind of half-baked red dead online mm-hmm. um because like I'll, there, there was a lot of stuff i mean there was no there was no real missions or no real anything on launch to the point where there wasn't much keeping people around apart from maybe the love of the world but like yeah i mean imagine imagine red dead online with the same kind of like groups of people as like the folk who do you know, role play the role in GTA, play. I, and I will say it'd be way I, more fun. Was, yeah, when <laughs> I was I, when I was playing, I did. Um, I was in a heavily role play server, and mm. I had some really good experiences, but they did not outweigh the bad. But it was really funny because I don't tend to use my mic on games because 
people get weird with like oh the girl playing a game and it's just like mm-hmm. but i had some really funny interactions with the role players because you'd have guys when you walk in they'd be like they'd tip your hat and be like <laughs> ma'am like it was like people were fully immersed in it and you had some you know, guys would be like they'd be like oh it's a girl and they tried to grief you and then everyone else would just jump on them like no this is not what this is for but unfortunately they got overrun in the end but i had people were like they realized i was a girl and they would bring me pelts i'm like this is like having cats they would just bring you dead animals and be like here again (laughs) um (laughs) and i'd also like um i had one really fun little basically it was a kid and he was like everyone was kind of being mean to him and i was kind of like I just wasn't mean to him, I was just nice. And then he latched onto me. He was like, Oh, you're a nice adult, I'm gonna play with you. And like he followed me the whole way around Valentine. And one of my most memorable things was I was standing in the thing and all I heard was his voice going, Hey, what watch this? And he just jumped from the top of the thing and just died. And I'm like, <laughs> Good job, buddy. Like it was just like having your sibling on with you. Um but it was I had a lot of fun with those types of communities. It was really, really funny. And um it was just ruined by all the <laughs> yeah. griefers and all the people that were hacking and like it was just like because it could have been fun because there, there were people that did want the gta experience they did want to role play they wanted that sort of immersion and it just wasn't worth it because they had no way of fighting back against the people that were just destroying the servers and it sucked um yeah yeah it's- I mean, like to be honest, I've I've always liked Rockstar games for the story. To be to be honest, I'm not that fussed about GTA. Like, I struggle to get the hype about GTA. I can't believe that GTA Five Online is still going. Like, I'm I'm amazed that there's still the same amount of buzz around it. Like, yeah, I I kind of hate seeing it on the front page of Twitch. I feel like it's like for me anyway. Whenever I look go onto Twitch, it's like it's gt online and it's like football channels for like clubs in england who Mm -hmm. are live streaming on twitch and it's like that's that's what's on the homepage all the fucking time and i'm kind of like they must be paying for that right they like surely it is it's like i i just feel like there's so many like indie games and stuff that could get some time in the limelight if the uh if the roulette wheel or carousel was a wee bit better but um like I feel because GTA Online's been such a massive earner for Rockstar, we're never gonna get the quality like kinda elsewhere. Like I'm I, I feel like Rockstar are gonna struggle to make GTA six. Because yeah. why cause why bother? Cause GTA Online is still a massive cash cow. I think like I mean when they make it it'll sell. It'll probably be one of the mo- like the best selling games of all time. But like, I I think they're gonna struggle because when GTA Five was released, I feel like the news was still slow. Like, how is GTA Six gonna make fun of like cryptocurrency that has mm-hmm. fuck that has fucking come and gone and collapsed? How are they gonna make fun of Trump? Trump's old news now. Like, you know. If 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 when, whenever GTA Six releases, and it might be two three years away from release, like Trump's going to be a kind of distant memory. How is it going to be relevant to like? Fingers crossed. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like how how are we gonna how are we gonna find like uh like how? Are well, we gonna it's, f- it's the kind of it's the joke that the onion has where they're like satire is dead. 
So yeah. the Onion is now just reporting things factually because they're like, I they can't, you know, compete with what reality is at the minute. And I think that's true. Like for GTA, where it was a lot of it was kind of satirical poking at certain things. I don't think they can do that anymore. Yeah, um, I mean, like, and you're right. That was a part of the success of it. Yeah, I mean, like, how? I mean, okay, how? How? How is GTA Six going to parody Elon Musk? Like, it's. You know, they'll 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 probably have a self-driving car crash gimmick. That'll that'll be one of it. Or, I mean, some people are thinking that GT Six is. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just reading the chat. My accent's not good on your audio processing ability. Sorry about that. I'll try and slow it down. I do also have a sore throat at the moment, so apologies. Um, but. I feel like the people were rum- like the rumor was that it was going to be GT six VI and then it would be Vice, mm-hmm. like that was the that was the plan. Which to be honest, it'd be really cool to go back and do like an eighties thing again. But I feel like that might it be would. overplayed. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Tundra's uh, that how would you parody Tesla? Just have one kind of car that locks you in and explodes every time you get into it. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure if you, yeah. you saw it, Joy, but there's a really bad video going around Twitter at the moment of a Tesla that, while trying to automatically park, sped up to, like, just... just I haven't seen that, no. Speeds up and kills two people. Run, like, oh, my God. And, and it's captured on cameras. But, like, it's... Like, they, they follow the car along the roads, and it's just, it's absolutely flying. It's like 120 miles per hour or something like that, and he just, he, like, he runs over a motorcyclist, and they're just dead. I mean, that is, it's tragic, and it's traumatising for the people inside the car. Yeah. Um, and it just shows you that the, the technology that Musk is pushing is not ready, despite what he says. Um, you know, he makes all the, he constantly makes all these claims that all think, you know, you can see it with Twitter. He makes all these claims. Meanwhile, the engineers in the background going, oh, not ready, not ready. <laughs> but he does it anyway because he wants to have, he wants to be an innovator. He wants to change the world. He wants to do all these things. It's like, cool, you can do those things, but do them safely and do them sanely. Like automatic driving would be so good for, you know, I for anyone who's unaware, I can't drive. Um, I I don't know if it's a mixture of my ADHD or whatever, but I have zero spatial awareness and that is not good when you're in a car. Mm. Um, so I made the choice to just not learn. Um, and it's, I'm thinking to myself, like that would it'd be really valuable for people who need caters, who need to get places. It, you know, It's really difficult when you're disabled and you're trying to get places. And public transport's a nightmare. Self-driving cars would be so beneficial, but we, you know, the way it's been done, it's never going to be good. You know, it's I mean, always just going to be about some, you know, small man's ego about he wants to be the I mean, first person to do all these things. And then it just, it just doesn't work. The the only, sad. the only positive thing to take away from it is that it's probably pushed other car manufacturers to do it better. Like, yeah. and I think that that's what we'll probably find in the years ahead is that like, sure, Tesla might have started the kind of wave and there'll always be a certain like you know what to be honest fair play that pushed electric vehicles and all that if it is whipped the other car manufacturers to actually move in the right direction fair enough but like tesla you know the amount of 
The amount of videos I've seen where like people are sitting in like burning cars trapped because the fucking door like only Mm -hmm. relates to the the computer system in the car and the computer system in the car's glitched or is dead so you can't manually unlock the door you know that kind of stuff it's Um, it's purely that that is the aesthetic we have with musk and people like him is that the aesthetic and reputation or the the appearance it's all down to appearance the appearance of being successful the appearance of you know, sleek line, living in the future. That's all they want. They don't want to do any of the progress that gets you there. Yeah. And I hate the fact that he was born into enough wealth that he is the person behind all of these things because he does not deserve any of it. Yeah. He doesn't I mean, deserve a scrap of it. He doesn't even deserve the, the, you know, the clout that he gets for being, oh, I was a founder of, you know, PayPal. And he wasn't. He was the, the trust mm-hmm. fund kid who gave money and then as soon as he started giving ideas, they got rid of him because they were stupid ideas. I did see um, one of the one of the things this week is that um like one of the kind of PR pushes this week has been Elon Musk has been cutting code um for Twitter. He's yeah. he, he's actually been programming. Is like, has he fuck? Like oh, I'm sorry, but no he hasn't. I mean, <laughs> anyone can open up a CSS thing and be like, Oh, I'm coding. <laughs> like it's not yeah. I like to think that some uh, some engineer just was like they gave him the equivalent of a mat and some crayons and they're like, You can do some coding, you can <laughs> reduce some lines and like, man, but it doesn't do anything, it's just purely aesthetic. <laughs> he, wrote, he, wrote, he wrote like he wrote like hello world on some readme file and then like that's it. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that is the kind of weird push. But like, it's funny you were talking about like appearance there, and like this, I feel like a lot of the tech industry and a lot of the like kind of industries surrounding the tech industry are all really built on sand in like mm-hmm. a really frustrating way. I'm not going to go on the engineering rant that I did last week. I'm going to like try and keep it slightly not away from that. Um, but the the thing that that frustrates me quite a bit is that this there's the it's like there's this just constant push to be doing the newest thing without any foundational this is how this should yeah. actually work um i saw a guy tweeting and he's like i am going all in on ai right what and like what what he says is ai is the fucking ai generated images that everyone's currently masturbating over you know you can go on the kind of ai generation ones that that steal from three different people's deviant arts um and deviant art has now put into their system as automated by yeah. the way so if you're a deviant art creator and you are not aware of that go in and change your settings so that deviant art does not give permission for the ai stuff because they've auto included all your things in the ai art maker stuff so oh apparently um they've changed it to opt out automatically now that's oh, good well yeah to think that uh, <laughs> the fact fu- that it was even not a thing in the first place yeah. is just like mm. like so. I, but i mean that that like so, so someone said i'm going all in on ai is what he said um and it's like people being able to tell a computer i want an image like that and then that computer being able to amalgamate stolen mm-hmm. art from other people's yeah it's not creating art it's just blending it and then of course the next stage and of that argument is these people are arguing that that in itself is art 
being able to go and see being able to give an AI instructions on what art to steal and blend together is in itself art. And I'm like, mm. I can see it from a transformative aspect where, you know, I've seen people compare it to fandom where it's like, oh, well, you're taking aspects of something and you're making it into something new yourself. But it's like, yes, but I'm not, it's not stealing. It's not stealing and you're not turning around and then selling it with fandom. Which is what some of these people are doing. They are selling stuff. Well, yeah, and I mean, what they're doing that, is they're, they're yeah. it, they've they've basically pushed the the window from stealing people's art and making it NFTs to stealing multiple people's art, mixing them together, and then fucking selling that as an NFT. Yeah, um, and that's what that that's the main difference for me because when people were saying, "Oh, yeah, it's just like fandom because you're doing," no, you you are giving credit to people in fandom. You are not taking value from the original source and then making profit from it with fandom if you are whatever that you know i know there are people that do donations and everything else but that you know that's it's a different thing it's different from having the community of fandom compared to nfts which are actively destroying <laughs> everything um and you know it's, it's it's a weird you know i think people that are comparing the two are just trying to find they're trying to find something to say, well, look, it's been done before. And it's like, not on this level, not yeah. to this degree and not as, you know, kind of like, well. And, al and also, like, I mean, yeah. even when it comes to fic, there's got to be, like, fucking effort put in. Because you're, like, you're writing something. Like, is I'd say yeah. it's, I'd say that's a, a mile away you put, you, from you're someone. You're putting work in for yeah. a lot of it. Let's be real. Fandom is, you know, it's a love it's you know a labor of love with fandom whereas the ai is just scanning everything and then you're just putting everything in a blender well i mean it's like, like <laughs> it's like all all you're really doing to create ai art is changing the keywords so it's mm -hmm. like you know the the amount of fucking art that i've seen on being posted on twitter and it's <laughs> it's like how how come ai has perfected the the feminine form and it's just like it's just all these women with like, you know, it's like that kind of, um, what's the, there's like a subreddit, but it's like women's anatomy. Uh, yeah. Bad, yeah. Bad women's anatomy. And it's just like women with like gigantic tits, like bigger than their entire body. Um, like it's that <laughs> Elsa, big breasts, people putting that into their AI generator. Um, it is very, um, it's it's very weird and it's not particularly i don't know I, I i i feel like i'm gonna be one of those people in the future that's like ai if we actually do have any sort of real artificial intelligence i'll be like of course ai can if we have androids and shit mm -hmm. of course they can make art a fucking machine learning scanner of a photo i'm not convinced um, sorry holly mop's going bonkers in the background it's quite distracting <laughs> imagine <laughs> to see the tail <laughs> she's she's so happy imagine the back pain amelia yeah <laughs> i mean I, I was talking about my, my boobs earlier on tumblr the back pain's bad enough as it is with you know <laughs> human-sized tits having anything <laughs> bigger i'm like no i'm out i'm done um <laughs> so i do not have to imagine as tundra's saying <laughs> so the um, but, um it's 
it is. It's just it's fascinating what like I mean there was another one that I saw, and to be honest, it wasn't AI, but this guy had had created a, a sculpture, and he's like a he's he's a kind of like Andrew Tate side guy, right? But he he created a he created a sculpture and he called it Vanity or something like that, oh, and it was a yeah. it was a it was a naked woman who had. Like he'd, he'd made it very clear that she had a uh, breast implants, and he'd like he'd sculpted on the scarring, and she had her iPhone out, and um, she was taking a picture of herself, and he'd so he'd he'd sculpted this woman, and uh, he decided to call it vanity, and like someone had just posted the quote where it's like, is is it not quite incredible that you've like sculpted and commodified? like a woman's yeah. figure and then you've like made it about her um being obsessed with her looks um there's uh, this that's not the actual quote i'm gonna see if i can go and find it but it was uh, we can just we can all we well you're finding that it was a fucking atrocious sculpture I mean, that, it was like all the art a while ago where they just put um, all the famous like marble sculptures and they photoshopped like phones into their hands and was like, oh, vanity. And it's like, as opposed to the men that carved these scantily clad women. Yeah. Like what, you know, um, it's just, it's such a weird, what are you doing? It's just such a weird kind of like disconnect where you know it's that kind of oh it's vanity if it's this but it's art if it's, if you know if we're if we're making a spectacle of someone it's art but if they do it themselves it's vanity you know um, yeah. which I was not too keen of. There you go, Banriok Yalok is on it. You painted a naked woman because you enjoyed looking at her. You put a mirror on her hand and you called the painting vanity, thus morally condemning the woman whose nakedness you had depicted for your own pleasure. That's the quote. That yeah. That's a uh, John Berger who did that. Um, I, was, I, I just found it as you posted it there, Banner Thanks. But yeah, that's it's exactly what this boy had done. And to be honest, the sculpture's fucking atrocious as well. He, he would have been better off just using Play-Doh. It is not great. <laughs> um, I like how no well, people who listen in on the podcast are just missing out on your dog missing in the out background. On the <laughs> She's going feral. She just wants um, she wants to get brushed. I think is what is happening because that means she gets food. So, <laughs> um. but yeah, I think when it comes to um, like the world of of tech and AI, and to be honest, another I could go on a wee rant about something else if you want, Joy. I despise green tech. I think green tech is designed not to solve a fucking problem. Um, so there's like there's a big push at the moment for technology that can help um, sort out the world's CO2 emissions. And how can we use green tech in big businesses to reduce the amount of CO2 the big businesses um, go off of? And I like I honestly think the whole thing is a fucking scam. I think it exists to get government grants fed into them and then them to do absolutely nothing to actually address the problem it really really irks me and I, unfortunately scotland can be bad for it like yeah, i think there's, there's, there's a lot of it and it, it, you see a lot in um to me it's the, it is the straw argument amplified 
because mm. you have all these people trying to create solutions to a problem that isn't actually the problem. Yeah. And because that that is still to the the date like the bane of my existence is the straw discourse on Tumblr. Oh um, fuck, man. I still get harassed for old posts where I talk about needing a straw to drink as a disabled person. I'm able to manage it in small bits when we're on the stream. But if I'm having but that's also because I've done three years of physical therapy since then to get my throat muscles working as well as they can be. And like even then I can't use a cup bigger than this because if I do I have to tip my head back and all my throat muscles seize. Hmm. So I still have to use straws if we go out places. I still have to, you know, and a lot of the time I'm like, I need a plastic straw because they're flexible, they're sanitary, they're not an allergen risk, and they don't dissolve, which a lot of them do. And it's it's a nightmare because we went to a wedding um, not too long ago and it was literally like, oh, can I get a straw for this? And, you know, the server gave me a lecture on why straws are bad. And <laughs> I feel like, fuck I, off. <laughs> yeah. Like, and it was like, well, it was like, well, this is an accessibility need, and it was basically, well, you don't look disabled, and I'm like, whoa, cool, thank you, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, but it was like, it was this whole thing, and like, I had to literally, like, I'm at this fancy wedding, and I was trying to drink a thing, and I choked because I, you know, my throat just randomly seizes sometimes. Like, you will see me on the stream if you're if you're watching on Twitch, you will see me occasionally flexing and everything else. I'm trying to keep my the front of my throat from seizing up so I can keep talking. Mm. Um, so it's it's one of those things where it's like a lot of the effort that goes into straws is just completely redundant because you will never be able to replace the functionality of a plastic disposable straw for some people and I think with a lot of these companies where they're going oh well this is eco-friendly this is green technology and it's like okay but you know that's great and all but are you actually addressing the, the cause of the problem itself or are you just coming yeah. up with a band-aid I mean you know, like the I, I think uh, someone was saying it um, earlier. Nez Club was actually saying it. You know, like one person's carbon footprint is a kind of drop in the bucket mm-hmm. when, like, there's. Uh, and th- this is this is the thing that annoys me about kind of green technology or what people classify as green technology. And I've I think I've spoken about it before, but there's a company in Scotland that um, they wanted to come up with an app that would help organisations. Um, calculate and reduce their CO2 emissions which seems fair enough you need to Mm -hmm. understand how much CO2 is actually getting put out for you to then take steps to then reduce it so I can see how technology would help in that regard but instead of actually targeting what the problem is which is like looking at the supply chain understanding how much CO2 is being used let's say you've got a fleet of trucks or let's say you've got um a group of servers that are all using a certain amount of electricity that translates to that amount of CO2 being put out, etc. What -hmm. instead they decided to do was create an app where um, teams in the office could compete against each other for how many steps they'd taken and whether the Mm. team was recycling Mm. and whether the team was using public transport um, and how many, how many like steps were they getting in? And there was, there was points and there was so much development time dedicated to like, um, we're going to create a scoreboard and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, and how is that actually addressing like, what the organization is doing you're just pushing it down to the people in that organization and whether or not they take a bus to work that's not 
the same. Like it, I mean, it, it again brings it back to the individual being responsible as opposed to the actual company. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense to have it be. Oh well, actually, we're going to make it into a competition to see which department can be the most eco-friendly. How about you actually address your company? Yeah. And your product and the stuff that you're doing and like it's like when Coca-Cola has these things that about how like, oh don't pollute and it's just like you are the biggest source of pollution. Yeah. <laughs> literally like it's like when Nestle was like, Oh, conserving water and it's like you literally go into drought areas, you buy their water and then you sell it back to them at up you know, uh, yeah. up price. <laughs> Um, and it bugs the life out of me. It really, really I mean, I, I have a thing on my Patreon. It's pretty old now. And it's a, it's an article you can read for free that I wrote. And it was um, the mason jar aesthetic. Because a lot of these kind of mm. crunchy, green, happy things, you know, everyone thinks, oh, well, glass is a good alternative. Not all glass is recyclable. So yeah. say if you drop a wine glass or even just like this guy, you can't put that in the recycling because it's been treated a different way from recyclable glass. Because if you mm. put it in the recycling, it gums up the machines that do the glass recycling at the facility. So then they have to spend thousands on fixing it. And it also means that if any of this type of glass gets in with the other recyclable glass, it makes the other glass weak and it can't be used again. Mm. So there's a lot of stuff that's in a lot of the eco communities. Oh, use glass for this. And it's like, okay, but how's the glass being made? Yeah. And a lot of the mason jars are fully recyclable. They are made from the glass that can be recycled. A lot of the mason jar stuff that you can buy in hippie stores aren't actually mason jars. They're coloured glass, which have been uh, treated with a different type of heating. Um, it's a different heat point, basically. And it's got a different chemical in it, which makes it non-recyclable. But, you know, it looks cool and it looks <laughs> as if it's a mason jar, but it's not actually a mason jar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it bugs the life out of me that the aesthetic is there for like, oh, use all these things that can be recycled. They can't. And, it, you know, like, you have to be aware of that. You can't just say, well, this is better than X because it can be recycled, can it? Like, we've just found out that a bunch of, like, the, the plastic bottles that we were told were fully recyclable aren't. Yeah. You know, but then the alternative is, oh, we'll use glass. Well, not all glass is recyclable. So, like, most of the glass needs to end up in the landfill anyway. So it's not a solution just for the individual to switch these things. We have to change how we manufacture things at the start. The yeah. companies have to start at the core to change things. And um, it it it's one, it is my ultimate pet peeve because it affects so much of what I do. Like, I literally get people saying, oh, use a glass straw. They're not safe. Use a stainless steel straw. They're not safe. The issue isn't me using a plastic straw. The issue is the fishing industry dumping nets. The issue is Coca-Cola dumping plastic and yeah. all, all, all their other stuff. It's not the individual. I mean, you can, by all means, do the things that make you feel good. And, you know, it does help. Like, if individual people do their own part, it does help. It, but it's not going to be the solution. Yeah, And it annoys the hell out of me when people latch onto it as, well, if everyone just took responsibility... Why is that not including the company? Why is it the individual who has to live in this society that has to make up for these companies? It's bullshit. And the company, like, I, I bought something the other day and it was, oh, this is, you know, the, the carbon emission from this is completely offset because we pay for this. And it's like, cool, maybe just don't send it by airmail. Mm. You know, I, why, why is it being, you know, well, I, like, like you see, know, that's, stuff like that bugs me. I mean, that's, that's another thing. There's, there's, 
two things on that. One of the things was in chat was Obelisk Killer was seen like greenwashing is like a big thing. It and is. it's like greenwashing is like when when I see it from like a business point of view, it's like when governments like governments are always keen to give out kind of like business grant money and stuff like that. And they're always desperate for like private companies to innovate and come up with like new solutions to how can we combat global warming and stuff. So what you have is companies like the one that I mentioned who get to Mm -hmm. apply for this kind of like government money effectively that they then put towards a solution that's not really doing anything. Um, You know, like they're able to speak to it you know, they're able to, you know, once they get up to a certain level, then the heads of that company get to basically parade around on all of the kind of speaking events that they like. Oh, at our company, we really believe in tackling uh, climate change and net zero, you know, and then that's all these people end up doing is they just go and speak at events and it's like, it becomes its own kind of like gravy train. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that, that for me is actually the thing that, pisses me off the most it's like how like there's a certain group of people who will always deliberately not come up with the solution in order to keep the kind of money flow because oh we're nearly there on the the grant money now like from a business perspective obviously a business has to make a profit at some point um, or it needs to at least be sustainable it can't entirely rely on kind of government money and i think that's the thing that like for me in Scotland anyway, it's where I get really annoyed. It's like a lot of the time the Scottish government fund these really good initiatives, but the like they're never sustainable. Um so they just need to rely on government money. If you want to give mm-hmm. grant if you want to give grant funding to a private company to develop something, that thing needs to become sustainable at some point. You can't just water and feed it. And it always ends up that it gets to a certain point and then the whole thing collapses because they're either not prepared to get it to where it needs to be or, you know, it was just a thing that existed so the people in charge of the company can go and talk at events. Um, mm-hmm. And that that kind of annoys me. It's, a, it's actually, um, I was thinking in my head there, I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was... Um so I have an eco mattress. I my our bedding is made entirely of wool, mm. and we did that because wool dust mites can't survive on wool as well as they can other things. And I have a anaphylaxis level allergy to dust mites. That's the sole reason we did it. But there's a lot of these influencers at the minute are promoting these eco friendly mattresses. I've seen and these, and you see the kind of. The, the claims that the mattress companies are making, which the people we 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 buy stuff for, like our eco stuff, is uh, they point out like, well, why would your mattress contain? Like they have labels like doesn't contain fire retardants. Great, cool. Wool doesn't need to have a fire retardant, so why would it? But then they'll also have things like doesn't contain arsenic, doesn't contain, and it's like neither do the mattresses on the market. <laughs> like they'll say things like um yeah you know, um, it's like it doesn't contain as if the others do kind of yeah it, it's like yeah. It, oh this is free from this and it makes people panic and think oh does my regular i mean there was that issue recently with a fiberglass mattress where the fiberglass was getting through the the um oh. the casing and people were getting fiberglass on their skin that was bad um but most of the time your mattresses are perfectly healthy and safe like the only reason you need you might need to switch to like like we did with a wool one is if you have major allergies um 
but it was like they, they use this kind of like doesn't contain cyanide and it's like does the one that you buy at like slumberland have cyanide in it no but they come up with all these claims to be like oh free from as if it contains these things and it's like that's just green marketing it's making you think oh well this is healthier than the other one because if this says free from then the other one must have this and yeah. that's not how it works and it's really insidiously clever and despicable and it's really it's, annoying it's that kind yeah. of like really insidious side in marketing as well like yeah. it's just mar- like i feel like marketing as an industry can be fucking horrible um, I will say I'm I'm seeing the gluten free claims. The gluten free claim is for so that you know that if the factory produces anything else, because you'll get like gluten free water. It normally means that that factory also deals with things that contain like you'll get like the wheatgrass mm-hmm. um, juices and stuff like that. And it's to show that those bottles are produced in a different facility so that you're not going to risk getting any contamination from the um, the bottles, because sometimes you get uh, cross contamination with gluten from the um, basically just the, the the injector like there'll be trace amounts of gluten in certain things um because I, I you know people make it like all of my makeup that i have is gluten-free and people are like why do you need gluten-free makeup and i'm going well i don't have celiac but i have mast cell um, dysfunction and gluten is a mass you know it's a mass cell dysregulator so i can't have a lipstick that has gluten in it because i will go into anaphylactic it's not for celiac it's for this different thing but some people also experience gluten sensitivity on their skin and it's like oh right well didn't know that but it's like people just use the gluten-free thing to be like oh this is weird and people are claiming this is like gluten-free apples i can see the produce but again is are they being you know it's it's things like do people just wash all their produce before they get it i don't think some people do um so there's little things like that um but yeah, it's the same with like, oh yeah, it's like, oh, this is organic and GMO. Well, it can't be labeled organic if it if it's not GMO. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's just like, but yeah, yeah it, it's little things with like some some places do take it too far. But with the gluten free one, I will defend that because it's like, oh, why does the you know why does this uh, packet of potato chips say gluten free? That sounds silly. A lot of potato chips use wheat emulsifiers to preserve them. <laughs> the more you know so um i mean it's like for me i'm gonna i'm gonna definitely circle back on the marketing thing because i've got i've got more to say but like one of the things about particularly the kind of the green agenda or the green thing when it comes mm-hmm. to marketing is like we, we mentioned carbon offsetting um and now i can go on another rant about carbon offsetting because it is the Yay. biggest it is the <laughs> biggest load of shit fucking ever right it's for big companies to say that they've planted a forest or something like that and that apparently offsets x amount of their carbon and it it, it just is such works. it's it's <laughs> such uh, uh, the, the most the worst thing about it is it fucking uh, what's the fancy beer place in scotland called um brew dog um, fucking yeah, brew dog fucking brew dog I, Brewdog say that they offset all of their carbon because they went and they purchased a big forest um, near their factory up in fucking Aberdeen or something like that. And the worst thing is that it kind of started this trend of like airlines now do carbon offsetting and oil companies try and do carbon offsetting. We will never be able to plant enough trees to fucking catch up 
and with what... We'd, also, we'd run out of space. Well... Like, where the, are you going to plant them? The desert? Well, the, the problem is, is where they do end up planting them is what is referred to as climate colonialism. Because yes. it's a lot of the... A lot of the kind of developing countries in the world who end up just getting masses of land purchased for these companies doing, oh, well, we planted 20,000 trees in this fucking piece of land that we bought in Zimbabwe or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And they then use that as as their excuse. But, of course, like, obviously, trees take a long time to mature. So it's not like, it's not like the... they They're not offsetting anything if they go and purchase trees that currently exist. Mm-hmm. So they have to be planting new ones. If they plant new ones then they end up fucking you know that's that's 20 years before it becomes an actual mature tree you know and i would say 20 years that's generous you know like it there's is, lots yeah. of trees that take a lot longer than that um sorry panicorns just told me that pine trees have no ecological use which is really upsetting because i really like pine trees that sucks well, that was the thing about Scotland. It was um, there was an article recently that showed that Scotland had the most amount of trees it's ever had since I think the eleven eleventh century. Yeah, and that's good. However, they're not native trees, <laughs> so they're not yeah. really helping the local wildlife. And they're, you know, it is that kind of like, oh, it's the wrong type of tree that shouldn't be in this area because it's destroying other things. Yeah. Um. And it's kind kind of like it's like oh it sounds really good when you say it like that but then you go oh it's it's actually not helping mm. it's just um it it sounds good um but it's that kind of um you know it it was a huge thing like there's them um, this um some people get really angry about this but there's that charity where you can buy a piece of land and it gives you the title Lord or Lady of Scotland. Um, yeah, that'll and fuck. it's a cons- it's a conservation effort, and I can un- I know. Well, kind of, I think you know, one one of the schemes is a conservation effort. I think there's like there's about three of them. I, I get asks mm-hmm. about it on Tumblr all the time, and it's like, what's your take on the buy a land thing? And it's like, on one hand, sure, if it's a gimmick that maybe goes to planting a tree or something, but meh. I don't know how it, I feel about them. It is, it's that kind of colonialist, like, Scotland still for purchase a lot of the time, which I don't like. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's that kind of, um, like, again, it's like, oh, it's planting a tree. Well, it, what what is it planting? Is it planting, like you say, a pine, which, you know, as we've just learned, apparently doesn't have any ecological purpose. Or is it, you know, just preservation, like actual preservation and not, like, the, you know the current you know a lot of like the i was watching the crown um over the weekend and uh, it was you know like they, they they show the scottish highlands and it's like this great wonderful like it looks gorgeous but then when you actually look at it it's ecologically barren because it's been hunted to death and it's being preserved in a certain way because they want to preserve it as a hunting ground as like a kind of a theme a grouse park, as to, yeah yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, is it preserving things or is it just maintaining the current status quo, which is harmful? And yeah, it's I mean, that like kind of the the amount of like what's what's currently grown on some of the grouse moors exists to be burned to like get the grouse to fucking move, you know? Like mm-hmm. that's that's like 
to be honest, we could probably do a whole fucking podcast on. To be, we'd have to do a lot of research on it, but we could probably do Good. a whole whole one on just like see Scot like Scottish land ownership in general is a fucking bin fire. There's like there's such a small amount of people that own so much of Scotland's land. I think it's like, I think it's either slightly over or slightly under a hundred people own something like eighty five percent of Scotland's land, which is nuts. Um, and most of them don't live there. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> most of the it's mostly their hobby houses where they come to hunt and fish, and then they fuck off in their private jet. Pretty but that, much. That that could be a whole that could be a whole season of a podcast. It's just us railing <laughs> against the whole thing. But um, it's, it's it, something it's, that I'm yeah. desperate that we're able to address with independence. To be honest, but I don't I don't think it's going to get addressed beforehand. I don't know how the Scottish government can look at land ownership um, in Scotland at the moment without kind of having kind of sovereign independent country powers mm-hmm. which kind of sucks um be nice if we did <laughs> it would be nice and it's something that i hope i will see in my lifetime yeah, um, fingers crossed. yeah but um it was the i'm just i'm reading the comments there it'd be nice if they hadn't stripped the top soil and everything yeah that's another thing as well like it was um a lot of our farming practices are just destroying the soil and we're um, now realizing you shouldn't be like you know, um, turning the soil and digging too deep because it destroys the root system. And it's yeah. like, oh, so we need to change everything. <laughs> we need to everything that was implemented in the industrial revolution. We need to undo yeah. in order to try and save the planet. And it's like you're being told to recycle, and it's just like great. I mean, uh, fantastic. Star- Starry Sky asked me to pull up um, the Wikipedia article for the Dust Bowl, which was like severe dust storms that massively damaged. Uh, the ecology and agriculture of the American and Canadian prairies um, during the 1930s. And, like, it was it was a combination of, like, the natural side of things, but then there was a whole bunch of, like, failure to apply any sort of, like, like dryland farming methods that, like, prevented wind erosion and, you know, like, I'm just reading from the Wikipedia page, but it's like, yeah. basically, the na- the destruction of the natural topsoil by settlers of the region. They just, like, didn't know how to properly take care of the land, and that fed into it, um, and fucked everything up, funnily enough. I will say, for the people that are in the, the chat going, this is really depressing, I will say that, um, as, um... <laughs> Mobilist <laughs> killers were saying regenerative agriculture is a thing and they have shown that it can have wonderful results in a very short period of time. Mm. Actually, and I, some... I watched a whole documentary on it and it was like it can they literally just let things go fallow for a long for a while. It's not profitable for them, but they've shown that the regenerative, you know, effects of it are fantastic. And it's like, cool, if you can and the, a lot of these farmers that are doing it are pushing for more people to do it and to say, look, I'm actually having healthier soil. I'm having more output because of it. It's just different from how we were taught to do it. So there is a very dedicated and committed group of people that are trying to change the world. And I hope that they do make a difference. And I think they are probably making a difference. Well, um, actually, I can I can speak a wee bit about that because I was reading an article about it. There is um, significant progress being made um, in Africa. Um, that they were basically, there was a lot of African countries that started to work together on preventing the Sahara from like advancing. Mm -hmm. So they've created what is being referred to as the Great Green Wall. 
and the amount of like basically they're helping to recover the land from the desert. I don't think that's they're amazing. Tr- like the yeah, so it's 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 incredible like the amount of work that's gone into it because um, it's had to be coordinations from like all these countries. But it's basically they have taken up like a massive strip. I mean, I recently um, the. Ethiopia has had the most success with 5.5 billion seedlings planted, which is nuts. Um, mm-hmm. And significant gains were made in Nigeria, Senegal, and Ethiopia. So, like, obviously, uh, all of these countries need to work together. And to be honest, they need support as well. Um, kind of hoping the same with Brazil at the moment. If Brazil's president is um slightly more left wing and cares a wee bit about the uh, environment then hopefully that can help protect the amazon um, mm-hmm. and help reforest some of the amazon because i know that a lot of it has been stripped down um throughout the previous president's um kind of reign uh, but yeah brazil's change in leadership should allow something i mean fingers crossed people always talk about the amazon being like was it the lungs of the earth is how Mm -hmm. it's kind of referred to be really nice if we could make the lungs bigger (laughs) the way i see it everyone i it was a post on tumblr the other day which was remember when everyone talked about the hole in the ozone nothing ever happened with it and they were making out as if it was like a, a big panic that you know didn't matter. It was like a massive like, coordinated effort that It was a massive global it. coordinated effort to fix it. And yeah. we managed it. We did it, yeah. We did it. And it's that very kind of um, you know, it's you just need to get enough people on board. And I think we are reaching a point in our history where things are changing, slowly but surely. We are seeing it in like the way, you know, there's obviously a still a lot of hardship and strife and terrible things happening. But we are at a time when I am seeing meaningful change and re- happening through revolution and advocacy work. And I do think the future, I don't think the future is as grim as we think it is. I think it's people are making an effort to fix things. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember, especially because it's so easy to get completely depressed and despondent with all of this. It's incredibly easy just to feel hopeless with all of it. But there are always people out there fighting the good fight for certain things. And, you know, it, it, you don't hear about it because the doom mongering gets more clicks on the news. You know, yeah. it's it's that kind of, you don't hear about it because hope doesn't it's, sell as well as despair. That That is and, the thing as yeah. well. We, we definitely, like, all of us do it. All of us like to doom scroll. The downfall of Twitter might actually help. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. Because it's funny because, like, everyone was, everyone's been saying to go and join Mastodon. Which I uh, think I is can't a figure it out. It's a bit of a nightmare on a on <laughs> I a, can't figure it like, out. Like the user experience on Mastodon is not great. But like I decided to join it and it was it was weird because like I feel like there's some people who I've seen on Twitter who I saw on Mastodon and it was like people weren't writing like they were on Twitter. And it, I was like, this is almost a nice clean slate. I kind of hope that like we can we can all start anew in this fresh new world. Yeah, well, it's um, also they're not but, writing for a specific algorithm because yeah. with Twitter, you know, the more sensationalist and doomy that you make things, it's more likely to trend. Yeah. 
you know, it is and Macedon doesn't have that same infrastructure. I mean, it, it has I mean, something think, similar, but it's not the same. Yeah, unfortunately, to Macedon's um, kind of the negatives of it is that there's a um, th- th- there is downsides to it because it doesn't have the infrastructure or the rigor that pre-Elon Twitter had. It also doesn't have some of the security infrastructure in place, which can be yeah. a bit of a pain in the ass as well. But then again, we're all on Tumblr, so that doesn't fucking matter. We don't <laughs> give a fuck about security. Um, and we never have. Um, <laughs> a, I mean, I suppose, like, the, it's funny, because when I, I made a post um, on Tumblr the other day about the American midterms, and, that, like, I think I, I asked how um, how America was doing. And I, I noticed there is there is a lot of doomerism that comes from Tumblr, particularly like there's a there's a lot of it. But you guys seem to be doing okay-ish. We're holding, we're holding what? our own. The red what? wave didn't happen, and we're actually. I think I think we've maintained control of the the Senate, the the Senate, which is a huge thing because the, or the Congress, incumbent president always loses the. You know they always lose that, so yeah. we're not getting that. You know the Democrats aren't getting the drubbing that they should have been getting historically speaking. I mean, so there is change happening. I mean, I, I, at the moment, I am seeing that the Senate results: thirty-three of the thirty-five seats have been called, fifty-one for a majority, and both sides are on forty-eight at the moment. Yeah, is what I'm seeing. I don't know if that thing's true. Well, um, I don't know. It's, it's really hard. We won't, probably won't know until next week, to be honest. Right. Okay. Um, but it's it's it's. Is this just because it takes so fucking long to count votes? Or what, there is, but there's also a lot of um, propaganda happening with like you know, as Mothman pointed out in your post, the Republicans have been laying the foundation for saying all the votes are rigged. So yeah. they're forcing like recounts and all these things, and then they're finding out they're actually getting gubbed anyway. Yeah. Um. But th- there's a lot of kind of like nobody's trusting the vote anymore, and it's you know because they've they they went so heavily with they cannot win honestly, they will win by subterfuge, and it's I it's mean, it takes so long just because there's so much involved. Um. I mean the so pos the the yeah. positive side of that in a like. In a in a in a good way is that I know that like a lot of the Republican, like, like a lot of the kind of rhetoric for each of these was like they went really hard on things like abortion and trans rights and LGBT rights and everything like that, and it hasn't caused that wave at all. Um, mm-hmm. So that's positive, at least. You know, like I, I mean, know- they were fully predicting. They called it the red uprising, the big red wave, which is someone pointing out in the comments. Ironically, you would think of communism, but they don't mean it for that. They mean it for Republicans, and it's literally just them. They're all going, "Oh, the big red wave's coming," and then it's like, "Oh, Gen Z is ruining the America because yeah. they're voting blue," and it's just like, "Oh, so you lost," is what you're saying. But they they yeah. predicted that they would have major wins, and they're not having that because. People have been going out and voting, and it's a good thing that people have become politically more politically aware, and they are staying politically active in a way that they've not been for a long time. Because I think there's been a, a it's the same in the UK as well. A lot of people have been very politically complacent because they trust the status quo to hold the same, and then it's not been holding the same because fascism 
doesn't sleep. They don't get complacent. They keep dragging and dragging and dragging until you have, until it eventually affects the people with privilege and they go, oh, wait a minute, we actually have to join the other people that are also fighting against us. Mm. So it's, you know, a lot of people who are complacent before are now aware and they are actually voting, which is good. Um, yeah. I mean, you've also got to think about how this will impact, like, the, the actual Republican side. I mean, I've already seen people from the Republican side shit-talking Trump and Trump shit-talking yeah. Republican candidates. And it's yeah. like, fucking sit back, let them crack on. <laughs> they can, like, let them rip yeah. each other to shreds. Cause... It was, well, he endorsed a bunch of people and it did not get them the votes they wanted. So yeah. they're now realising Trump is not as popular with the broader Republican constituents. Like They're realising only a very select few people actually want him. They are the loudest people. They are the loudest assholes, but they are not the majority. Um, yeah. And a lot of Republicans are actually going, mm, don't really want to be associated with, with insurrection yeah. and treason. And, you know, I, I just I just want to stay rich. I don't want to be a traitor. Like, it's, <laughs> it's very much yeah. like that kind of like, mm, don't know. Um, but it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that they're actually going, oh, wait a minute, this is the emperor's new clothes situation. The guy's not good for us. Yeah. Um, I mean, and... I'm I, I'm I'm wondering, like, you know, it's it's funny. I remember when I think it was Mitt Romney going up against like Obama, and like mm-hmm. <laughs> Mitt Romney sounded like an absolute nutcase, you know, <laughs> like yeah. um, like when 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 he was running, like it was like fucking hell. We really don't want Mitt Romney to be in. I remember being on this side of the fucking Atlantic yes. and being like, oh, I really don't want Mitt Romney to, to, to win against Obama. But like, I, I was moving to that country at the time and I remember thinking that would be the worst case scenario. <laughs> <laughs> then I was here for Trump. And, and, you've, like, and, you've, oh and you've, you've aged like 20 years I've internally. 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, that's that's the thing though, is that like, how, how does, how does the Republican Party, like, claw its way back to... I mean, like, Mitt Romney, whatever, don't really, like, care much for him, but, like, you know, that almost... It's a, it's a wee bit like here, like, the Tories will never get back to the kind of David Cameron, like, you know... <laughs> the fact that David Cameron is, 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 was yeah. the peak of the but, Tory party well, for you know, our you, generation. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't, you don't want to see he's a fucking good guy. He absolutely wasn't, but, like... He's not fucking Rishi Sunak or whatever the hell Liz Truss was, you know? It's yeah, like it, it, it's gone from being scraping the bottom of the barrel to finding out that there's a hole in the barrel <laughs> and the barrel leads directly to hell. That, that's what the Tory party has been recently. Hell's um, too kind. It's actually just the barrel's floating in sewage. It is. Some of it's <laughs> leaking into the hell, barrel. Hell's got nothing to do with this. It's literally just the sewage that Boris Johnson deregulated. So now there's just sewage all around England. So that's there yeah. is actually. Um, um, but I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't know what the move is. And to be honest, I don't think Rishi Sunak's going to be able to claw the Tories here back to like no. any form of sensibility. I mean, that died on its arse with Liz Truss. Um, the um sorry one sec <laughs> the like I get yeah I just I, I don't know what what the steps are I mean the Republicans will have to do a lot of kind of like soul searching for them to be anywhere near the <laughs> the Mitt Romney yeah. <laughs> side of things like and when are they going to get that like they're not going to like how do you claw back to rock bottom 
is the like, question. <laughs> well, I mean, like, obviously there's always been bams, but, like, was was there a character like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like, back then? Was was she, was, like, I mean, maybe Sarah Palin, but, like... I mean, they've all... You know, it's hard to say because, in my mind, they've all just been fucking nuts. Like, it's really yeah. just... It's, it's like... Um, you know, I was watching something. It was on um, Hulu, and it was the about the Watergate scandal, and they called it Gaslit, and it was just fucking evil. Everything was just evil, and you're going. And to pe- some people, that was the height of the Republican Party, and it's all been downhill since then. And I'm going. The height of the Republican Party was Watergate. Mm. Okay, and it's like I don't know. I honestly don't know. Like the the answer to that because I it's as a as an outsider it's very weird to say oh yeah well the Republican Party had some good points at one point because I have never seen them in my lifetime, um, and it's the um it, it's hard to say like for me to say because my views are so different from what an American would be considered to be leftist. A lot of American leftists are just centralists as far as I'm concerned. Um, obviously not talking about the everyday people. I'm talking about the politicians. Um, and it's bizarre to me that you have basic <laughs> basic things like healthcare and minimum wage and all these things are not part of it. But then again, in the UK, you know, my parents didn't grow up with these things. My my mum was five when the NHS became a thing. So it's it, you know we're we're also in a position where we go, oh well, we have all these things, but we've not actually had them for that long, culturally speaking. Um, but I think for some of us, it can feel as if we've always had that. And I, I honestly don't know how, you know, I can't speak from being an, from an American's perspective because I am a Scottish person living in America. So my, my view is completely biased, <laughs> basically. Um, so it's, it's a weird one to try and answer. Like, Mothman could probably answer better, but um, it's the... To me, it's always been a weird kind of question of like, well, how does you know how do they claw back to having a, a you know a moral decency standpoint? Well, their view of moral decency is that LGBT people, trans people, and you know, we shouldn't exist. So I don't know if there ever can be a moral Republican Party if that is their view. Um, yeah, I'm, I suppose I'm not really, I'm not really talking about the morality aspect of it. I mean, like, it's when. When Therese, okay, a good example is Theresa May, and I know that, that there's probably mm-hmm. not an American, um, like, comparison to be made here, but Theresa May wasn't particularly competent, um, but she had people in her cabinet that were that kind of slightly older, um. What what you'd probably call sensible, uh, almost competent people, mm-hmm. um, whereas like everyone in the in the British cabinet at the moment is an absolute fucking crackpot, you know, like they're actual mm-hmm. fucking nuts. Like Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, has insulted the whole of fucking Albania in the past week by referring to um, Albanian immigrants and refugees as an invasion. 
um, which has now prompted mass protests in London from all of the Albanian people living in the UK. And it's like... The sheer gall like, of Britain to accuse anyone of invasion. I, yeah, I know, right? The it's like, sheer <laughs> but, audacity. But, but again, that it's like... Just, the, the, like, that is the fucking calibre of person that is running the UK at the moment. Like, they just don't... The, the, you know what the worst thing about that is falling to life? Suella Braverman is not Caucasian. Yeah. She's a person of colour. She's like Pretty Patel, the, the Home Secretary before her. Um, yeah. And it, it's a, it's like a weird a, disconnect. It's a really weird disconnect where it's, well, I'm not like the other, you know, it, it's almost like, like they put being British first. Well, the, the, worst, the, like, the worst thing about that, and I, I, I haven't worked out in my mind yet how to, um, how to, as a, as a white person, comment on this, I suppose. But like Pretty Patel and Suella Braverman both being from like immigrant families like me commenting on their dislike of immigrants i, I don't i don't know where it sits because it's like yeah. I, I i i just see them as absolutely fucking evil like i i don't know how to comment on the racial aspect of it at all because for for me it's like well i i, I don't know but like I suppose that's when you maybe view it through more of a class lens where they are yeah. ex- exceptionally fucking wealthy and they are like one of the things that I've always kind of said is that the like the women in the conservative party who have had to rise to the top like your Theresa May like your Margaret Thatcher like your Liz Truss they have often had to be more evil than their male colleagues in order to get the recognition within the party, mm-hmm. and I think that maybe comes into it a wee bit because it's like, like the opposite thing, it's like the Maggie Thatcher and feminism. Maggie Thatcher did not want other women to have power; she just wanted to be the only woman in power. Yeah, like she well, wasn't a feminist icon; she hated other women. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't think that Theresa May or like that hated other women, but there's like there's a particular like, you have to back a certain amount of evil fucking policies to get the recognition within the Tory party whether it's mm-hmm. amongst the whether it's amongst the actual parliamentarians or whether it's amongst the membership like this is how you climb the ladder because like Theresa May was home secretary Theresa May unveiled the like the worst of the um you know she was the one who had the the vans driving around with the if you're here illegally fucking report to the police because you're going to be sent mm-hmm. home like you know she was the the mastermind behind all of that um, and she was david cameron's home secretary so it's like i i don't know there's there's just like there's just a certain level of evilness to be talked about there i, I don't know if it's really been discussed as a phenomenon or whatever but i feel like the i mean it's, it's what the they're willing to are, give up to have power well i mean like and you see it in a lot of like the the at the minute over here in America, you have a lot of white Republican women going. Well, I didn't think they would take away my right to abortion. And it's yeah. like well, you voted for the you know it's like you know the classic you know women who voted for leopard eating face eating leopards party surprised her face is getting eaten eaten by leopards. Like it's like yeah. I didn't think it would happen to me because I'm above those people. And yeah. It's like no because <laughs> you erode everybody it eventually gets to you and it is that real kind of like 
you know, idea of that you are good enough to separate yourself from other people. And it's um it's a really weird phenomenon, you know, phenomenon to see them going, well, they won't do it to us because we are white. And it's like, they'll find other ways to oppress you. Yeah. You I know, mean, it, like, <laughs> there's been a thing in the alt-right uh, community where it's like, alt-right women who are like the figureheads in the community don't like how they're being treated by the alt-right men. And it's like, have, you, have, have, have you ever listened to them? <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I think it's... Um, it's, it's definitely a weird one, but on the on the positive side, you know, I think the Democrats not losing the Senate um, yeah. is is a positive, and I'd like people to maybe like think about that because I know on Tumblr the moment I posted, everyone was really really doom and gloom, but I think it's actually like it's okay to again take whatever small victories you can. Like, That's a big thing from active like from being any sort of advocate or any sort of activism. Every win is a win, no matter how small it is. Yeah. Because if you don't stop to recognise them, you go mad. <laughs> yeah. And you burn out and you can't fight anymore. And that's what they want. The opposition wants you to lose all hope. They want you to lose your fire. They want you to not be able to fight anymore. So every small win, even if it's not the big win, is essential and it matters and you have to cherish it. You can't just say, well, it's not the big win that we wanted. The big, There is no end goal yeah. to any of that. There is just constant fight against people that want to destroy things. Like, there's no... It's kind of like rapture culture. It's kind of like that idea that, well, if we, it's kind of like the, the you know in a story where you fight long and hard enough, you eventually get the happily ever after. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is reality. We don't <laughs> have the happily ever after. It's we have keep the status quo as unevil as possible for as long as we can um and it's that kind of um it's it's interesting sorry it's just it's really interesting you mentioned like rapture culture because it's like i've i recently watched um band of brothers i'm not sure if you've ever seen that it's like the kind of classic world war ii miniseries yeah Mm -hmm. that follows the like the one of the american paratroop like battalions or regiments or whatever it is um and it, it follows them through the whole kind of like you know dd and you know a the operation market garden and then mm-hmm. like eventually like the 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 penultimate episode is when they liberate a concentration camp and like that's hugely impactful and then they go on and the um the they end up in like sort of Hitler's main southern um base, which was called the Eagle's Nest. Mm-hmm. And the last episode is after the surrender, right? And these guys don't like these guys end up going back home. And there's it's not so much a happily ever after. It's just like a there was this aftermath where the war was over and the they they just realized that like they they'd been fighting for several years and now they didn't need to but there was this oh so what are we going to do now mm-hmm. the, like they hadn't they hadn't thought about it it's it's just it's one of the things when you mentioned when it was like kind of the rapture culture side of things like it wasn't an there was an aftermath it wasn't just like the end of the war um and like i don't know why but it was really kind of depressing like at the end you see these guys who'd gone through it all and at the start of each episode you have the the real life counterparts 
of the characters in the show. Mm-hmm. So you have the guys talking, and it's like obviously a lot of them, like so, some of them survived the war with no injuries, and a guy came back and died in a car accident a couple of years mm-hmm. after. And it's like, imagine going through like all that, and then like that. I, I don't know why I'm feeling like I need to talk about this now, but it was just like it was a really big like, holy shit, like. I mean, they call it the the um, the Disneyland effect for soldiers now. Like that after Afghanistan and Iraq, you had a lot of soldiers coming back from that kind of environment, and America is just carrying on like normal. And they're yeah. like, it's like being in Disneyland. No one else. You know, it's almost as if civilians are in this kind of fake world where they're not affected by the things that they've seen. And it's it's a weird disconnect that we don't often talk mm. about. We we think of wars in terms of the narrative that we've been fed in that war mm. ends and then the good things happen. But that's not how it works in reality. You have to deal with the aftermath and the, you know, the lives that are affected after it. And it's, I feel it's, like it's, it's the true, you know, it's true with all of it. Yeah. I feel like that's probably got a broader um, definition as well. I feel like you can have the Disneyland effect for quite a lot of things. Like mm-hmm. I know whenever I've like traveled and then came back home, it's like things have Things have stayed exactly the same, but everyone's just kind of like kept on keeping on. Um, yeah. Which is kind of weird. For, for, for me, it's a kind of a weird. So I have, obviously, we now know that I was born with a genetic disability. Mm-hmm. But I, when I lived at home in the UK, my disability was not as bad. It wasn't as noticeable. Now, when I go home and I see friends who have lives who have carried on, they look at me like, oh, what the hell happened to you? And I'm like, Oh, uh, <laughs> funny thing, Fun this thing like, my whole life fell apart for a brief <coughs> time. I completely, my experience completely changed of life. And they want you to carry on as normal as though you no longer need a cane to go places. Or, you know, it's it's things like there's, there's people mm. who don't experience the same things as you. And it's almost as if you're in a completely different reality from them. And they don't understand why you can't integrate with them. And it's yeah. like, well, because things have changed. Yeah, and it, it, it's a really weird, it's a really weird mind fucky thing. It's absolutely just like the like with talking to my parents, like they have not seen me because I've not been able to go home because of the pandemic, so they've never seen me using a cane. Yeah, and it's going to be really weird if I ever have to use my cane in the UK for certain things, and they're going to be like, "Oh well, you didn't need it when you were younger," and I'm like, "Yes," and then I got older. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fun changed, fact. <laughs> yeah, you know, Jesus. Um, it's really kind of like there's people that just don't ever leave their little protective bubble and i don't mean that in a nasty way like they're not on cloud cuckoo or whatever but they're they don't ever experience certain things that completely alter your worldview and would that we all lived in that kind of situation but the truth is most people don't and it can be really alienating to come back into that kind of situation where it's like so many things have changed for you but it feels as if nothing else has changed for everybody else um and uh <laughs> you commenting war never changes yes but it, it, it is a really kind of it is weird it is yeah. a weird experience and i imagine it's weird for a lot of other people for like again coming bringing it back into the activism and everything else it's really weird to be part of a minority that is you have to be radicalized to survive mm. and then you you feel as if you're having like there's people that are supposedly on your side and they don't get it. So again, a good example would be the straw issue. 
you're talking to fellow supposed leftists and they're yelling at you because you're not doing the ecological, you know, the eco-friendly thing and that makes you a bad person. And it's like, how do you not see that disabled people's rights need to be part of eco-activism? Otherwise, it's not good enough. They always oh, well, talk about... They always talk about climate justice and whether that is, you know, making sure that disabled people are part of that um, or, you know, in developing countries, you know, that's another one. It's like, how do you do an actual just transition? Um, Like a big one that I've seen, and I've seen a couple of people, including one of my my friends, but like they've spoken about not being able to have a vegan diet and getting Mm -hmm. absolutely monstered for it on Twitter. As in like, there's people who are vegan on Twitter who very much look to insert themselves into discussions about veganism, as in they'll like they'll make sure that they're typing it in as a keyword and they go and hunt down what people are saying about it, mm-hmm. uh, and they try and start fights. Um, now, don't get me wrong; I reckon there's a lot of people who take the piss about like you know veganism, and there's always there's always the guy doing the joke about the bacon or whatever the fuck. But then there's always there's, the meat eaters who take it like, too far. There's always yeah. the meat eaters who make it into their personality, and they're just as fucking annoying. Yeah, they are. Um, they're just as fucking annoying. But like when you like, it's some, it's almost like the left needs to stop to stop doing friendly fire. <laughs> I feel yeah. like there's there's, yeah. there's definitely a lot of that. Because that, that's the thing that the right does really well is that they solidify. Yeah, they and fucking they will huddle up behind the evil. Because they'll be like, oh yeah, well I can temporarily like. Like they will temporarily put themselves with the worst case scenario to get what they want. Yeah. Thinking, oh well, I can drag it back to what I want eventually. Meanwhile, we're fucking taking pot shots at each other. Yeah. Because you know, it, it, it's very kind of there, there's a kind of like ideological yeah. purity thing that comes there into is. play a lot. But anyway. Um, right, before we do the wrap-up, I think we need to lift the conversation a wee bit. What, what are you doing uh, this week, Joy? What you got planned? Um, I am trying to get some writing done. Um, nice. I'm also working... I'm doing something that I... Now that you brought it up, I can want to talk about it, but I can't because I'm, I'm working in the background. But I've got a secret project that I will hopefully be launching on December 1st. Um, and it, I'm trying to get a lot of stuff done in the background. I'm also um, just, I'm, I'm sure some of you are in here, but thank you to everybody who was recommending um, corsets for me because I'm looking at getting a medical corset for my back. Mm. So um, I had a lot of very helpful people messaging me last night. I think I got 100 messages from people recommending things like that. So I'm doing a lot of things um, for uh, self care and also just a lot of projects for things that I don't have time for, but I'm doing anyway. Why do we not? <laughs> yep, I sure can. Um, <laughs> No, that's good. Uh, the week ahead for me, I'm uh, I'm working a couple of days, which will be good. Um, and I'm getting this charity stream organised. It's just yes, it's like I'm looking it's, forward. It's, I'm looking forward to being a nuisance. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just it's, it's hell for leather up until like I I'll I'll sleep after it's done. Until then, no sleep. That's banned. Um, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, but. You realise where they're gonna their chat's gonna bully you into self care if you're not careful. <laughs> well They are uh, gonna bully you. Yeah, that, I'll bully you as well. 
that's fine. They can do that. It's more like, <laughs> yeah, we just we, like what we're doing there. So we've already announced a whole bunch of guest speakers. Um, if anyone wants to give me a follow on Twitter or Tumblr, you'll see a full list. And I dare say that Joy will be reblogging. I will be joined yep. by Joy as well, um, which is excellent. So Joy will keep me sane or drive me insane. We'll find out. Um, that was the coin. We'll, <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely wait and see. But uh, in that case, let's uh, wrap up this one. Uh, that concludes episode 21 of the Ice Fear. Yeah. We're getting 21 uh, episodes. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, if we are, uh, if you're still in chat, hang around for a wee bit. We'll be here briefly. Um, but for the rest of you listening on the podcast, um, hope you have a great rest of your week. Bye bye.